Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins. It's great to have your company. It's super liberating to be able to just, I can leave my house with a, a, you know, an eight or 10 kilogram backpack. And that's, that's my life for the next six weeks. That's pretty liberating. That voice you just heard is this week's guest, Brian Crothers. Brian and I have corresponded for years. And then, lo and behold, I'm reading C.C. Edwards Jensen and Mike Jensen's book, Happiness is That Way. And there's a picture of Brian in the photographs. And I knew now was the right time to interview him. Brian has written extensively about the Camino, and you're going to love this interview. But first, remember that morning... That afternoon, that evening on the Camino, when you stopped walking and breathed? Cast your mind back and stop for a moment. No, really stop. Listen. Really listen. What are you hearing? I'm still here. It's not, I should work harder, push harder, be everything to everyone, be someone I'm not, a hustler, when I'm kind. Or if you're truly listening, it's a message we are perhaps frightened or reluctant to hear. I'm still here, welcoming the message of life and all its challenges. A survivor. Celebrate the fact you're still here on this journey of life, this pilgrimage, this journey of life and love. And be brave enough to say this for you and those around you. I am worthy of love. I am love. While we walk in the footsteps of St. James, who walked to Spain to preach Christ's word, we ought to strive to remember the message on James's mind, Christ's message, I am love. If everything I do and say is framed by love, I can't stray. Remember that joy of pilgrimage, that simple message you were sending yourself. I'm living simply the best version of myself. Our world is a maelstrom of information, influence, pressure, work, family, bills, COVID, politics, heartache, frustration. We all, young and old, wonder if we're up for the challenge. Well, the answer is yes. I am love. Even at your most secure, you're often at your most vulnerable. Tough it out. It's worth it. Your pilgrimage of life will be well worth the journey. This is a podcast about the Camino de Santiago, or the way of St. James. And as I said, James was one of Christ's apostles, and he travelled to Spain to teach Christ's teachings. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. Love one another as I have loved you. He that is without sin among you cast the first stone. And this line that Jesus said to James, the humble fisherman, Come, follow me, I will send you out to fish for people. James went to Spain after Jesus was crucified, as I said, to cast his net afar, and pilgrims walk in his footsteps today. The pilgrimage, El Camino de Santiago, is known as the Way of St. James, and if nothing else, it's a wonderful adventure, but it's often more than that, a personal exploration, finding the best version of yourself. Now, this might surprise you, because... I love Dolly Parton. Not only her music, but her vision, her life, her duty, her energy. And she said once, find out what you are, find out who you are, and do it on purpose. 
but Camino is a good place to start. My guest this week is the American writer and pilgrim Brian Crothers. Welcome, pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. You just dis- to be here. You discovered you were very good at writing, and you're still doing it. It must be very satisfying. It, it is. It's it's satisfying to have finally found my artistic side. Spent so much time in my left brain, uh, you know, in industry and and engineering, and I didn't like that part of it. You know, the, the writing budget narratives and technical specs was not a lot of fun. Hmm. But when I started writing about the Camino, I found a passion. Yeah. Your Amazon page suggested a very good starting point for this interview. It says, Brian Crothers is a baby boomer, son, husband, father, and grandfather, a retired power generation professional, an avid adventurer and world traveler. In nearly two decades of adventure travel around the world, he has learned a few things that he loves to pass on to others, to you. Let's start with how the Camino came into your life. My mother and I were both reading Shirley MacLaine books oh, yeah. you know, 20, 30 years ago, and uh, she picked up a copy of the, of the Camino, and I, I read it after she did. And that's, of course, planted a seed that sat for quite a while as career and family took more energy. And, but it, it was always there. It was... There's that interest to travel somewhere I hadn't been. There was a spiritual component, of course, she, she talked a lot about. And then, you know, reading more about it, you know, the historical treasures and, you know, something I discovered is I really admire the cathedrals. So that, that was kind of all a trifecta uh, started there. And you know, later on, I... I ran into something. It was a, a documentary with Gwyneth Paltrow, the actor, and the celebrity chef, uh, Mario Batali. And it, it was kind of cheesy and, and really overdone. And so it kind of put me off. And then later on, I saw The Way. And like that does with so many of us, I was like, yeah, I got to do this. And a few years, well, I don't know how many years later, but I... I uh, did my first Camino in 2015, the Camino Frances. How do you describe the Camino to people who ask about it? Oh, boy. <laughs> it's, that's an interesting one because I, I can glaze their eyes over <laughs> by talking too much about it. Um, yeah, you start off with the basics. You know, it's uh, hundreds or thousands of year old pilgrimage. And, uh, you know, most Americans, at least, if you speak of St. James, and they understand that he was an apostle, but they, didn't, they don't know anything about his resting place in Santiago. And, you know, occasionally, I mean, there's surprisingly, a lot of people know about the Camino, but a lot don't, you know, probably more don't than do. So, and, and those that do know have kind of a limited, you know, very basic understanding. So then I kind of, my, my answer is, my answers come to them de- depending on how much they want to know. And I can kind of just read that in their body language. Yeah. If they're, if they're heading for the, 
the, the wine for a refill, they maybe not want so much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that feeling exactly. Because <laughs> I just love talking about it all the time, right? And people go, oh, here, yeah. he, go, here he goes again. Cast your mind back. Um, you've read Shirley MacLaine's book and you're starting to plan your very first Camino. Were you aware, well, you would have been aware of the reputation for renewal after reading Shirley MacLaine's book. Do, do you remember, did your first Camino live up to your expectations? Did you find what you expected to find? It was really more of an uh, an athletic endeavor at that point. Mm-hmm. Because I was I was running ultra distance races, foot races, and cycling events at the time, and it was kind of looking for something new. and And then I watched the way, and that brought back up the the Camino. And so I, I recommended it to a friend. So you know, watch the way, and let, let's talk about this. And uh, she was also a, an ultra runner and we had limited amount of time. So we, we did the Camino Frances from St. Jean Pied de Port um, to Santiago in 20 days. Whoa. What? Yeah, about 40, 40 kilometers a day. Oh, come on. That's crazy. And, yeah. And it was crazy. So, you know, I did have, um, some wonderful experiences, met some fantastic people. Uh, I wrote about that, uh, you know, the, the spirit guides that I came across, you know, simple things that took a couple of minutes of, of interaction to, you know, spending the whole evening talking with a, a, a man from London. He walked out the door of his London home and just went on Camino, <laughs> but he was so full of life and, full of stories and full of great uh, life lessons, you know, that he was happy to share. It's just those sort of things. I did um, have those opportunities, even though we were moving that fast. You know, um, in the course of writing this interview, I always write a script and I was doing my research. It's not just the Camino, it's, climbing mountains in Africa, the Andes, Russia, the Himalayas, mountain bike racing in South Africa. You've even done a foot race in the Sahara Desert, 10 days what's called multi-sport racing in Vietnam. Where does this adventurous spirit come from? (laughs) I've been asked that many times. And my best answer to that, Dan, is I consider myself just an average American and I don't want to be average. I just, <laughs> just want to do something different. And you know, maybe I just get bored. I don't know. <laughs> but it, <laughs> well, it really does. Let me ask you a different aspect of it then. Is it adventurous or is it restless? Uh, no, adventurous. Um, I like to see, visit new things, experience new things, meet new people. Why then do you think you were drawn to pilgrimage as a form mm-hmm. of adventure? I I think it's the ease, the infrastructure. It's all there, and mm. and has the the spiritual aspects. Uh, I you know I I'd read about it, of course, but didn't experience it until going 
even going at a fast pace, you you can feel this this energy. It's like you're in this slipstream of millions of people that have gone before you, and, and it, I, it's hard to explain. But it's like it's like visceral. It just mm-hmm. gets into you and pulls you along. And uh, I, I think that's that's my my best part of that. And there's also the historical element, as I mentioned before. I just love the cathedrals. You mentioned Mike and Cece's story. We met on the Via de la Plata. And I went on that Camino specifically because I'd read about a lot of the Roman history there being the the silver way, the way that they, they the Roman Empire pulls so much silver out of Spain. And I was, when I went on that trek, I was amazed at how much history there was, you know, from simple mileposts with, you know, the emperor at that time is etched in stone. And, you know, things been standing there for 2,000 years to aqueducts and bridges and whole settlements. It's just really incredible to, for me, coming from California, where the oldest things we have are missions, and they're a few hundred years old, spread up and down California. But to go and see something like that, a couple thousand years old, that's just, that's almost mind-blowing to me. Yeah. There's a lot of that, too, from an Australian perspective. Um, our Indigenous yeah, yeah. heritage goes back 60,000 years yeah. Uh, and one of the oldest cultures, if not the oldest culture in the world, but white heritage only goes back a couple of hundred years. So for me to stand in a cathedral that's, you know, 700 years old and not necessarily even a special thing, it's just that that's just in the main, the main street of the town is the most astonishing thing. Tell us about writing. Why did you decide to write about your experience? And and, and how did that process begin? And, and, and talk us through how you write and why you write. I was just moved by the whole experience, like say in, in uh, summer of 2015. I was just really, I don't know, I was really moved by that whole experience and just felt compelled. It was, it was, it's like you hear this many times from people that they don't know what it was, but they were just, they, they couldn't do anything else. They had to do what was being pressed upon them by God or whatever. So it, it, as soon as I got back, I was like, I'm going to write about this. And, and uh, I, you know, I'd been journaling, I'd been writing on to Facebook and stuff like that. So I had the stories and uh, I don't know, I was just driven to it, to write about that story. Is it a difficult thing to do or does it come easily? Is it a, a long and involved process or is it something that comes naturally to you? Well, it has, has evolved. Um, as we mentioned earlier, that it started with the posts I was talking about and then writing about that Camino and then on subsequent Caminos, I've written um, about those in what I call route reports or kind of daily travelogue rather than the spiritual journey. And then along the way, I, I discovered that I liked making things up. You know, uh, creative nonfiction is fun and uh, rewarding, 
but I discovered I liked fiction. So now I go on Camino and I have my experiences and then I use those, weave them into a fictional tale. So when you say you're weaving all these stories together, how long would it take you to write a book like that? Like you, let's say, for instance, your, the next question was about the Camino del Norte, your book about it. How long did it take to put it all together? With that, you know, I, I took my diary information and uh, cleaned it up and, and made it readable, the, the creative side of creative nonfiction. And I'd say that, you know, maybe a month I could do that because the, the basic information was there was really more copy editing and, uh, and formatting. And so tell us about the Camino del Norte. You've written the book. How does it differ to the Camino Frances? If, if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking of walking or maybe they're thinking of which route they might walk, tell us about Camino del Norte. Well, it's, it has been said to be difficult. Some have even said the most difficult. I'd have to agree with that, just in that if you do the whole thing from the French border, it's 800 kilometers, and it's a lot of up and down. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, you know, the Frances, you, you, know, you go over the Pyrenees, you, you climb into Galicia, but in between, there's a lot of easy strolling. You can make, make good time. The Norte is not like that. It is up and down a lot. So it is pretty difficult. But it's the scenery. I was uh, raised on the coast. I love the water. <laughs> Anytime I can see the ocean, I'm happiest. And uh, a good, good bit of that path is coast side, cliff top. So it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. But it is a little bit more work. And because it's not quite so busy, am I going to get an albergue every four or five kilometers like I would on the Francaise? Or do I have to commit to a kind of always having a longer day? You're going to have some longer days. It is, uh, there isn't as much infrastructure, but it's not a lot different. The Via de la Plata, there are very long stretches. The Norte is, is still manageable. It, it's not every four or five kilometers, but it's, it's still manageable. I don't remember any real, real long stretches where it was a problem. What, what's something that, about the Camino del Norte that might appeal to me that I perhaps wouldn't find on the Camino Frances? The coast, oh. of course, like I say, the, the scenery, but yeah. it's also green. It's, it's not like the interior, especially in summer, it's green and lush, and uh, that's, that's appealing. And the surf, of course, I can dive into the ocean, can't I? Yeah, if, if you like to surf, there, there's a lot of little surfing towns and little beaches along the, that whole path. Yeah. Um, Tell us about the Camino Via de la Plata. You've written a book about it as well. Maybe, yeah. you, maybe you might even answer the same question. What's something about the Camino Via de la Plata that might appeal to me that I wouldn't find on the Camino Frances? Well, certainly the, if, if length appeals to you, it's longer. It's uh, 1,000 kilometers. Um, if you start at Cadiz, it's a little further. I started in Sevilla. 
if you like, well, <laughs> for me, I went in the fall. It, we, I tagged it onto the end of a, a trip to Europe with my wife and some friends. And they, they came home and I went, uh, went on Camino. So that was in the fall. So there were nights, several nights, where I was the only one in an albergue. Right. So again, if that appeals to you, <laughs> you know, solitude and yeah, and all that. I mean, I met a lot of wonderful people. I'm still good friends with. And we would see each other off and on, and uh, still communicate to this day. But it's just, especially in the fall, there there's there are less people on that route. So again, I asked that same question about the Del Norte. Because there are not so many people, are there places to stay or do I have to commit to a much longer day? Yeah, there are places to stay. Um, there are quite a lot. In some cases, there are longer days, but it's not really bad. It's not uh, much different. I would say maybe in a percentage, it could be on average 15% longer. Right. So it's, it's not appreciably longer. But those days can be difficult ones where you've gone up into the mountains and have to climb down into a village. Um, so it, it could be maybe not that far in distance, but it's more work and, and a little slower, takes you a little longer. But since I did the Frances at 40 kilometers a day, when I did the Vila La Plata, I, I shot at something like 35 or 32 and and then the norte are even slower and so i was never pressed for time for daylight yeah nor did i have uh, one one albergue uh, the muni was the municipal was full for that night when i got there and it was easy to find another place to stay it was uh, it was not a problem yeah but for the most part there was plenty of room of course, this was all pre-pandemic and a yeah. different. Yeah, that's right. And that's my next question is because the Camino Frances is so busy right now, perhaps the Camino del Norte or the Camino Via de la Plata would be a better alternative if you wanted a more solitary route. Certainly. Mm. I totally agree with that statement. Um, the, you know, the, the information on what is available is out there. Lots of uh, wonderful people keep that information up to date. Yeah. The only thing that, that is new for us is staying abreast. In, in years past, you could kind of just wing it pretty much and just kind of, okay, I want to walk this far today and that looks like I'm going to end up in this village or that village and, and you can do it. it it's different now. You want to check, you want to see what's still open, you want to see what's available and make reservations. That's what we're reading, you know, in a lot of people's posts. Well, certainly my experience in talking to people who have been particularly on the Camino Frances at the moment is, yeah, book ahead for sure, because yeah. you're going to get to a town and if there's not a bed, you're going to have to keep walking on. So this yeah. this wonderful adventurous life, this this incredible journey of yours over the last whatever, how many years... When I was doing my research, I, I found this page, Grandpa's Gone Again. <laughs> Why do you call your blog Grandpa's Gone Again? Well, I was traveling a lot 
and that goes back to the late 90s. And I was you know, writing about it mostly on social media and then decided I wanted to do a blog. I went to my wife and asked her what she thought would be a good theme for that. She said, Grandpa's gone again because my grandkids will always, when she goes to see them and I'm not with her, they go, Grandpa's gone again? <laughs> Just like that. So that's where it came from. That's so great. So what do they make of this adventurous life? What do you grandchildren say to you? Do they say, what was it like, Grandpa? Where have you been, Grandpa? Do you tell them, you sit them down and tell them about the world? Um, somewhat. Uh, it, it depends. We have three of them. They're all very different in personality. The oldest has no travel bug. I don't expect him to ever. The younger one is a little more adventurous, and I, I think he's someone that will catch the bug eventually. And then the youngest, she's, uh, she's almost 15 now. She is our traveler. She, we ask her, where would you want to go? First, I mean, it came out of her mouth so fast I thought it was going to burn her lips. She said, Paris. She wanted to go to Paris. Wow. <laughs> so, um, so they're very different and they're very, um, they're very different in how much you can sit them down and talk with them. Yeah, yeah. If, if your youngest grandchild is 15, you must have had your first child when you were 10 or something. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a book about the Camino del Norte and, and the Via de la Plata. Tell us about the book Su Camino. Su Camino is the one that I wrote after doing the Camino Francis in 2015. And it's, I don't remember exactly what the subtitle is, but something like, a whimsical tale and and pilgrim advice, something like that. I wrote it kind of in sections, and with each section, there was it was kind of anecdotal. There was a, a spirit guide or somebody that I'd met, and 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 that only took so much. And to fill out the book, I put in some practical information for other people, you know, encouraging others, and that's. That's really where, I, where I'm headed in my, if I could call it a career, is I want to encourage other people and, sh- and give them information that hopefully takes away some of their fears. And in the writing process, are you taking notes while you walk? Because as you said, the book's a part guidebook as well as being full of anecdotes and musings. So are you, are you punching into a computer or are you writing hand notes? How does it all work? Tell us about the process of writing. Typically during the day, I don't stop to take notes, but I will sometimes, it, if it's something I don't want to lose, I will take voice memos oh, on yeah. my phone. Yeah. And then that evening I can listen to it while I'm, you know, having a, a cold beer or whatever and, uh, and write those into, uh, into some notes that I have. There's a great line in, in, in one of the subtitles, wherever we may roam, there is adventure. There is spirit, and there is discovery. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, I, I guess my answer would be that that's me. I'm I'm always reinventing myself, trying and and trying to grow, and that's how I see life. You know, is growing, moving forward, discovering new things. 
That'd be my best answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The books are part guidebook, anecdotes and musings, but you do also sort of give advice. You sort of say, this is where, you know, this is how far you might walk today or tomorrow or what to get to this place. And when you get there, you must check this thing out. What's one piece of advice you give to people who ask about walking the Camino? Prepare. Do some training. Don't wait until you're on the Camino. I, I, I think that's something that some people neglect and they, um, they suffer for it. I mean, you go to all the trouble and expense to, to go to Spain and to do this thing, figure out all that it takes to do that. You want to make sure you enjoy it. And, and I think that preparing, doing as much physical conditioning as you can pays off dividends. So how far should I be able to comfortably walk at home before I go? Oh, that's a good question. I, if you're going to do what I would consider average days, which would be you know, 14, 15 miles a day on Camino, you want to work up to being able to do that at least three or four days a week for at least three or four weeks in advance of your Camino. I walked a 30K day um, just before I left and I, when I got home, one of my shoes had torn and I realized oh, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And so I went and bought an exact same pair of shoes and I realized, well, I wasn't going to have a chance to wear them in. I didn't take the shoes off for about the four or five days before I left. But there's some things you can and, and, and can't change. But I was surprised how many people I walked with who had only bought their shoes a week before they left. Yeah, you definitely want to get used to them. My feet are so used to doing so much that I don't have that problem. And I, I feel for people that I've seen, <laughs> you know, even after a couple of days, they're, they're nursing blisters and, yeah. and suffering through that. And there again, if you do those conditioning miles, that helps a lot. It's not going to solve everything. There's lots of great information out there. One of my favorite books is uh, it's called Fixing Your Feet by John Vonoff. And he goes into a lot of detail in how to condition, how to bandage, how to prepare, your, uh, you know, put, um, put bandages on before, uh, like the night before, so that the tape sticks well. He goes into a lot of detail. It's very helpful. What's one thing I must take with me? An open mind. Hmm. Great answer. What's one thing I can leave at home? That's a good question. There's so many things I, I have left behind on subsequent trips. The first trip, the intent was we're going to camp as much as we did, could. We, we used the tent twice and put it in the Spanish mail and sent it home. Right. <laughs> Don't take a tent. Hey, so just on that, can you camp? I don't think I saw a campsite the whole of Camino Frances. Can you camp? In, are you allowed to just put a tent up in a, in a farm yard? I, I don't know. What, what, what are the rules for that? No, no it's uh, in Spain, no. Um, that's generally not um, acceptable. Right. Had um, made no plans for where we were going to stay except for the first night. So we went um, over the Pyrenees, down into Roncesvalles, and then passed there about three kilometers, I think, 
there was a caravan camp ground that had space for tents. And I knew that from research, but I, I didn't do any more research after that, assuming we could find other places. And, and there just are, aren't a lot of them. There you go. That's really interesting because I don't think I met even anybody who was camping. I didn't, I don't recall ever seeing it. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so that's one thing I must take, something I must, I could perhaps leave at home. Let's get to what the Camino means for you. What's one word that would sum up the Camino for you, Brian? I guess liberating. Hmm. I think that a lot of my adventures over the years, I came to understand that I didn't need as much as I thought I did and that being a little miserable for a little bit or not having just this, you know, not having an electric razor, for instance, just, just as an example, it didn't matter. And so I think that the Camino just really solidified that concept and it's it's super liberating to be able to just I can leave my house with a you know an eight or ten kilogram backpack and that's that's my life for the next six weeks. That's pretty liberating. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think you needed liberation? <laughs> I think it's not not to be unfair to Americans, but it's the American way. We like to have all our stuff and keep it with us. <laughs> that's really funny. <laughs> that's really funny. Okay, so <laughs> that's liberation. Reading your books, reading your blog, reading this adventurous life and, and talking to you today leads me to... I guess my last question, and that is to tell us a Camino story, but perhaps you might tell us a story that doesn't feature in any of your books. Surprise me. Okay. Well, my Camino story is, is in this case, the one I'm going to tell you is a long one. And it started in 2015 when I was writing after I came back from Spain, I was writing my story. And I was following along a lot of uh, Facebook, book groups and just staying immersed in the Camino. Yeah. And I, and I you know, still am today. And in that process, I was, I was following an American who started doing, doing videos of himself telling about his day and what he was experiencing. And, and I, and a, a lot of people really liked his honesty, his openness so I just was following along with him, and, and then he came back home and said that he's going to write a book. And I, and I asked the question, just kind of a flippant question. <laughs> I said, so what is it about the Camino that makes us want to write our stories? Well, his quick answer was, that's what I do. And so I started looking closer, and uh, his name is Steve Watkins, and he was writing a book, and he is a journalist and an exceptional writer. And so I felt kind of silly because I, I asked this question, you know, why, why do we like to write? And well, that's because that's what he does. Well, long story short, he and I have become very good friends. I consider him one of my best friends. I was just 
back in uh, Arkansas where he lives, spent some time with he and his wife, Dana, and they are making plans to come out here next year. And um, like I say, just, we just click and see a lot of the world the same. So I think that's, that's really my Camino story is that I have a, a, a zillion of them, uh, you know, these two minute greetings to, you know, some spiritual, spiritual experience, but I think that this one is the most long lasting and most rewarding. I'm, I'm an introvert by nature and like Steve is too. And we, we just have this friendship that came out of the Camino though. We've never, we didn't meet on the Camino. We did, we did have never walked a kilometer together on the Camino. So that's my Camino story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah. I interviewed Steve. Yes. Yeah. And, and he, I have read, read his books too. And he is an interesting guy and Dana, such an interesting person as well. And so yeah. let me ask you, have you been to Tranquility Base? I have. I you was there are. a month ago. No way. That's so cool. <laughs> it's awesome. He has a very, very special place there. Yeah. Wow. You know, that's so great because that's a perfect way to wrap up the interview because the Camino makes the world such a small place. I look forward to catching up with you in America one day and, and perhaps we can share a beer down at Tranquility Base at Steve's place. Brian, it's been a pleasure talking with you. It's a well overdue chat and I'm so pleased we've had a chance to catch up. It's a blessing, a blessing for me in particular. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Walk on, Pilgrim, and buen camino. Igualmente, hermano. My guest this week was Brian Crothers. You can find Brian's books on Amazon and you can follow him on Facebook. And don't forget that blog, grandpasgoneagain.com. Thanks for your company this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way, somewhere along the way.